0: Greetings to all our brethren around the world, and uh, greetings from Charlotte, North Carolina. We welcome all of our guests today. Uh, Today is a special day of fasting. Our purpose is to humble ourselves and to seek God wholeheartedly so that He can use us more effectively in the great commission that He's given us and to fulfill His work and His will. We all need to stir up ourselves to be more zealous to overcome self satisfaction, to overcome self righteousness, to overcome any Laodicean tendencies we may have, and careless attitudes and mindsets that afflict us. But we're very thankful for God's blessing and His work. I was able to see our Charlotte produced television program in uh, the hotel in Canada last Sunday. In Canada, the telecast airs 26 times on six six networks and some of them with national coverage. Uh, The program is also seen in Canada uh, in the French language uh, twice a week. Uh, Starting in September, the newly approved Canada content program uh, will allow us to broadcast even in prime time. That means that Mr. Weston, who has now Canadian uh, citizenship and others, uh, qualify for primetime television for the Canadian-produced telecast. So Mr. Weston and, of course, Mr. Wallace Smith and myself uh, will be doing those programs. Uh, the program will air nationally on Bloomberg Television in all the cities in Ontario on city TV. And then uh, just yesterday, well, Friday, uh, July 15th, the largest network in Canada, CTV, uh, approached our agent with an offer of excellent times on Sunday morning. So this latter offer will be negotiated in the next couple of weeks. And Mr. Wahavich expects that these additional channels will double the exposure that we have in Canada. And we pray, of course, that God will grow the work as a result. And then other good news, on August 7th, the Canadian content program will begin airing on Salvation TV, which covers the southern third of India, and that's on cable uh, far, and also uh, through internet TV. The coverage region is populated by 400 million people. And the cable channel has nearly 30 million subscribers. So within the next two months, the program will also be airing in Taiwan on Net TV with two, 20 million viewers. So God is giving us, in spite of our weaknesses, in spite of the selfish problems that we may have, and we're going to be talking about that today God has called us to fulfill a mission. But how can we fulfill that mission if we're not zealous? As you know, I like to take surveys from time to time. And uh, how many of you have seen a Tomorrow's World telecast either on your iPad or on cable in the last four weeks? Let me see your hands. Good. Well, that that looks, I can't see everyone, but it looks like about uh, 70% of you. Why is it important to see tomorrow's World Telecast? Because it's one of the major doors that Jesus Christ has opened up to the world to preach the Gospel, the good news of the coming Kingdom of God, and to warn the world and to warn the Israelite nations of their sins and the consequence of those sins. Some of you old-timers used to listen to Mr. Herbert Armstrong on radio years ago. In 1962, I was working as a transportation engineer in Norfolk, Virginia. I would listen to the World Tomorrow radio program. Mr. Herbert Armstrong was doing a series on the book of Hebrews. At the time, every morning, five mornings a week from Monday through Friday, I would get up at 5.30 and listen to that one-half-hour program. And then, of course, uh, he was also on radio on Sunday morning as well. I had a commitment to be involved in what at that time was the preaching of the gospel over radio. How many of you are deeply committed to watch Tomorrow's World telecast just once a week? We need, brethren, to dedicate our lives, our time, in supporting the work that Jesus Christ is doing through His servants. and. Make sure that we're involved with the telecast is just one of many aspects of supporting the mission, but a very important one. Dr. Meredith announced the church-wide fast in his letter to our church members dated July 12, 2016. He stated one of the problems of the church, quote, Several of our ministers in the field have mentioned that although people are not falling away or anything serious, yet there is a sense of spiritual malaise, a kind of take it easy, Laodicean attitude that is certainly creeping in. Our people are not on fire as much as they have been in the past. So brethren, today we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to change in our personal lives? We need to evaluate. We need to reevaluate our priorities. Are we spending too much time on social media? Are we spending too much time wasting time? How can you change your routine? Can you plan to spend five minutes of meditation on the porch? Get to bed earlier. Get up earlier. Read the Bible five minutes before going to work. Read one Tomorrow's World article or LCN article each day. Cry out to God in heartfelt prayer, more than you have. Brethren, we need, and I need to, make significant changes in our lives. We need to humble ourselves. We need to claim God's promises. One of God's promises is given in Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. We'll turn back to Second Chronicles 7 and verse 14. In past several decades, the church of God has called a community fast. And when we've had a strong need to do so, we've emphasized this particular Scripture on such occasions. Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, God says, and this was a, a vision and a message to Solomon in the middle of the night, this is from God Himself, the Eternal, 2nd Chronicles 7:14 If my people who are called by my name and we are all called by God's name we are the ecclesia of God the called out ones the people of God will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. This was given on the occasion of the dedication of the temple. The ark had been brought into the temple and God poured out His, the fire to actually burn up the sacrifices that Solomon had put on the altar. And God's presence was manifested as well. In Solomon's prayer dedication, when I just turn back here in Second Chronicles 6, and verse 12, Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Eternal in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. I just want to give that as an example of how, brethren, sometimes we need to stir ourselves up. As it says in Second Timothy 1, uh, verse 6, that we need to stir up the gift of God that He's given us by the laying on of hands, God's Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've ever prayed that way, but Solomon stood and he raised his hands up to heaven. And you, of course, can be more alert physically, but also spiritually. And then the people also prostrated themselves, kneeled down with their heads on the floor that time when God poured out His power and His presence at that occasion. So God says here in 2nd Chronicles 7 verse 14 if my people who are called by name will by my name will humble themselves and pray and that's the title of the sermon today if my people will humble themselves and pray now I know you say well I, I pray I pray all the time well good I'm glad you do but we need to again be more fervent in prayer and make sure that we are overcoming this spiritual malaise that is affecting the church. God promises that He will forgive and that He will bless His people. So today I want to ask you to dig down deep in your own life to examine yourself for your sins, any wrong attitudes and behaviors, and ask God to show them to you. Do you have the courage to admit your own sinfulness that It's been hanging on. You have the courage to admit our sins. We need to rededicate our lives to realistically monitor our attitudes and see through the deceitfulness that sometimes we allow ourselves to engage in. Too many of our brethren have allowed themselves to be deceived by false doctrine, by ego, vanity, selfishness, and sin. So will you commit yourself to humble yourself for the rest of your life? Will you go all all out to fulfill your calling as sons and daughters of the Almighty, as it tells us in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 16. We need to examine ourselves, and one of the places that is instructive is in the book of Job. Well, you know that Job was a righteous person. And even when he experienced the trials that God allowed Satan to bring upon him, Job did not accuse God. But in the process, Job did have self-righteousness, and that's very clear by several of the statements made by Elihu here and Job the 34th chapter. Job's three friends had been spending a lot of time trying to convince Job that He had some hidden sin for which he was not admitting. But what was the key? The key was Elihu. He was not one of the three. He was a younger man. And God did not correct Elihu for anything that He said. Elihu stated this, Job 34, verse 31. Or has anyone said to God, I have borne chastening, I will offend no more? Teach me what I do not see. If I have done iniquity, I will do no more. Has anyone ever said that? Brethren, that should be our prayer. Job went through a terrible trial. You know, he lost all his family. He lost his wealth. Of course, his wife remained who tried to provoke him, and he lost his servants, lost his camels, and then he was afflicted physically, with boils all over his body. And what should Job had said? What he should have said is exactly what Eli told him to say or revealed here in verse 31. Job should have said, I don't understand why I'm experiencing this this trial. I don't understand why I'm I'm suffering so much. And I don't understand why I've lost my family. I have borne chastening. I will offend no more. Teach me what I do not see. And if I have done iniquity, I will do no more. That should have been Job's prayer. And that should be our prayer, brethren, as well, when we realize the church as a whole and we individually need to be stirred up to be more zealous than we have been. God has called us in a very important way. We are significant. We heard in the announcements about the tragedy in Nice, France. And there have been other terrorist attacks in other cities around the world. And the way the world is going, we know that there is no way that the world is going to survive. Let's turn to Matthew 24. You know why, because this very powerful verse that Jesus spoke about on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 24, verse 21 For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world under this time, no, nor ever shall be. A time unique in all of man's history. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. How important are you? But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. God has a plan of salvation and you and I are a major part of that plan. But for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. The atomic bombs that destroyed Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1945 killed more than 100,000 Japanese instantly. And another 100,000 or more died later on, it's estimated. But we now live in a very dangerous world, a world of not only Atomic bombs, but hydrogen bombs, neutron bombs, chemical, biological warfare, and even potential space wars. But we are called the elect, and the world needs saving from World War III, and you are part of the plan of God. The world needs to be saved spiritually. And we pray for Jesus Christ's second coming to come. What are the characteristics of the elect? We know that they have God's Holy Spirit, the fruits of God's Spirit in Galatians 5, verse 22. Fruits of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, faithfulness, goodness, kindness, self-control. But there's one characteristic we'll turn back to Matthew 18 that we all need as well particularly when we're fasting, we can understand this principle. Matthew 18, verse 3. Assuredly, I say to you, Jesus said to His disciples when they were asking, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus called a little child and set them, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly, verse 3, Matthew 18. Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we need that characteristic to have that humility. Therefore, whoever humbles himself, verse 4, as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So God will save the world because there are genuine humble True saints, converted Christians in the world. But he gives us this warning in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. Turn back to 1 Corinthians 10. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So do any of us think that we stand? On the other hand, some are lacking faith and are fearful. Well, that's the other extreme you don't want. You don't want to have overconfidence and you don't want to have fearfulness. You need to have a godly fear, but not fearfulness that lacks Christ's faith in you. But when he says take heed, he means pay attention, be focused. Let's examine ourselves. Let's understand Our spiritual condition. Then he gives us this reassuring promise in verse 13 no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful. He wants every one of us to be in His kingdom, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but will, with the temptation, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So God gives us those promises. And the fasting day is one day in which we are taking heed to examine ourselves, to humble ourselves, and to seek God wholeheartedly. We want to fulfill our calling and turn many to righteousness. That's Daniel 12, verse 3. We need to trumpet the warning to the nations and call them to repentance and to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves for Christ's coming. In Dr. Meredith's member letter, July 12, 2016, he wrote this, Brethren, let us all take time during this fast to study, to thoughtfully meditate on our weaknesses and shortcomings, and and attitudes, and literally beg God to stir us, And to bring us closer to Him than ever before. We need to cry out for the gifts of God's Spirit. We need to cry out for more zeal and for more power in this work. This very sick world is going down the tubes pretty fast and the nations need to be shaken so that at least they have had a powerful witness from the true Church of God of what is about to occur and why. End of quote. And I hope, brethren, you will get to reread that letter if you haven't already, after services and even before sunset would be a good time. So when we fast, it's a good time to examine ourselves. You know, Second Corinthians thirteen five, we read that around the time of Passover, but now is a good time as well. Second Corinthians thirteen and verse five. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Faith is that body of belief, the true Christian doctrinal belief that Christ taught and the Bible reveals. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless you are disqualified or, the King James says, reprobate? So we need to know ourselves. And to know our weaknesses. And when we identify our weaknesses and sins, we ask God to forgive our sins, but we also have to take action on how to overcome those weaknesses and take positive steps. You replace a bad habit with a good habit. And you confess your sins and God will forgive those sins. So how do we examine ourselves? Well, We examine ourselves with so many different areas of biblical doctrine, prayer, Bible study, fasting, meditation. We examine ourselves with respect to tithes and offerings, in our love towards one another, in fulfilling the work and will of God, in keeping God's commandments and statutes and judgments. There's another way of examining ourselves, and we'll do that briefly here in Revelation 2, Revelation 3. Jesus was evaluating each of the seven churches in Asia Minor. They are also, of course, symbolic of the church throughout all the ages from the time of Christ up until His second coming. So they are both characteristics of the church at large at all times as Mr. Herbert Armstrong would point out, that there are these characteristics, all seven characteristics in the church even today. But the various Laodicean characteristic is predominant in our era. In Revelation, the second chapter, he writes to the church at Ephesus, at uh, Revelation 2, verse 1. What was their problem? Could it be your problem or my problem? Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you that you have left your first love. And as Dr. Meredith was saying, a spiritual malaise, we may have left our first enthusiastic love that we had for God's truth and God's church and God's work and the mission that God has given us. So we again need to examine ourselves with respect to our love for God's work. The Ephesus era. And then the church at Smyrna, verse 8. They were persecuted. They were tested because there were those who said they were Jews, verse 9, and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. He said, don't fear those things which are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. We've heard the warnings, the exhortations to make sure that we are committed. We are committed even to give our lives for Jesus Christ and for the work. So they had to be committed to be faithful unto death. Pergamus had a problem as well. They had a seat of Satan and those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, verse 14, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel and to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. So again, we have to examine ourselves. Pornography is one of the greatest blights in modern technology and television and internet communication. And uh, even ministers, as Christianity Today magazine pointed out, have uh, addiction to pornography. Are you tempted? Are you practicing this kind of sexual immorality? So you need to repent. Verse 16, Revelation 2, repent or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So, he said that's where Satan's throne is. Verse 13, but you are holding fast to my name and did not deny my faith either in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. I've, uh, my wife and I have been to the Pergamus Museum in East Germany where all of the altars and many of the archaeological uh, excavation elements are there in the Pergamon Museum in East Berlin. So it's interesting that uh, that was the site of Satan's throne. Then the angel of the church to Thyatira, verse 18. He says, I know your works, verse 19. But verse 20, I have a few things against you because you allow that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So again, are any of us afflicted with sexual immorality? And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality and she did not. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into a great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. He says in verse 24, Now I say to you, the rest of Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who do not know, have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And then he addresses the church of Sardis. What was their problem? He said, Be watchful, verse 2, and strengthen the things which remain. Because, excuse me, verse 1, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. I hope that none of us are spiritually dead. But if you are tending in that direction, he says, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. If I have not found your work perfect before God. So we need to again examine ourselves with respect to these church-wide problems. They exist today. They existed throughout the church history to the angel of the church at Philadelphia I know your works verse 8 revelation 3 so you have set before you an open door and no man no one can shut it for you have little strength but have kept my word and have not denied my name but we're thankful for the open doors as i mentioned the one in starting august 7th in southern india for the canadian produced television program tomorrow's world going to india But we also need to make sure that we fit this category of keeping God's Word. That is, we're living by every Word of God. Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. And have not denied My name. We know that we honor God's name as the Creator, the Lawgiver, the Lifegiver, the Sustainer, the Designer, the Father of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Ephesians 3:14 and 15. We honor God's name by our works, by our behavior, by our attitudes, by our routine in life, by fulfilling our responsibilities as fathers, mothers, children, employees, employers. Whatever our responsibility is, we do not deny God's name. Because you have, verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere. And most of you are doing that. But we need to again make sure that we are humbling ourselves before God and that God will give us the power and the strength, the healing, the renewing of our faith, renewing of our spiritual strength and determination and power. Because you have kept my command to persevere. I will also keep you from the great tribulation, the Petrosmos in the Greek, the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Hold fast, verse 11, what you have that no one takes your crown. We need to examine ourselves with each of these descriptions and evaluations by Christ of the various churches. Verse 14, To the angel of the church, of the Laodiceans, right? Verse 15, I know your works that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. That describes some of us. We are not cold or not hot. We're just uh, taking it easy. We're not prodding ourselves, not stirring up ourselves like we should. And we need to cry out to God to help us to stir ourselves up. So then because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of My mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and naked. They're self-satisfied and they're going to have to go through trials in order to stir them up and to make that deeper commitment of being totally and wholeheartedly submissive and responsive to Jesus Christ and God the Father. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, what do we do? What should we do? What is the message that Christ is giving you today? Be zealous, therefore, and repent. There is a solution to our problems. And Christ gives us that solution. So we can examine ourselves with respect to the commandments, to what is happening in our lives. We might turn to 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, in terms of examining ourselves and judging ourselves. 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. This is in the context of the Passover, but applicable at all times, verse 31. 1 Corinthians 11. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. I remember taking some of the tests at Ambassador College years ago where they were self-grading. We had to grade ourselves. Plenty of opportunity to cheat. And I always tried to grade myself a little more stringently than perhaps I would expect even the teacher to grade me. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. God will forgive us. And if we confess our sins, He will forgive us of our sins. We'll come across that Scripture a little later in the sermon. But how important is humility? On a fast day, we are humbling ourselves. We already read in Matthew 18 that if we become as little children, that whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know Isaiah 66, but turn there. Certainly very appropriate and instructive for us today. Isaiah 66. Verse 1, Thus says the Eternal, Heaven is my throne, and earth is my footstool. When you look out to the galaxy and you take a look at the NASA photos of all the astrobodies, the planets, the galaxies, you realize that this planet earth is like a tiny dot, and even less than a dot in the spectrum and the expanse of the universe. Where is the house that You will build Me? And where is the place of My rest? You just can't box God up in a little place, although uh, God did allow the uh, Ark of the Covenant to be a special symbol of His presence. And He did, of course, bring His presence there. For all these things My hand is made, and all these things exist, says the Eternal. But on this one, you take a look at all of the universe, the expanse of the universe. But where will God focus His attention? But on this one will I look, on Him who is poor and with a contrite spirit and who trembles at My Word. Moses was up before God there on Mount Sinai and prostrated himself on the ground 40 days. Have you ever prostrated yourself flat on the floor or on the ground face down? And who trembles at My Word? The Word of God is like a sword. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. It pierces into the very joints and marrow of the bones. So, How important is humility? God says... You look out in the universe, and the one that person I'm going to focus on is one who humbles himself, who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. Turn to Psalm 35 and verse 13. So, how do we humble ourselves? Well, we know we humble ourselves through fasting. Psalm 35. Verse 13, Psalm 35 and verse 13. David, King David fasted. He said, but as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. He's talking about his enemies. I humbled myself how? With fasting and my prayer would return to my own heart. The Hebrew word for humble is anah. He humbled himself. And it's the same word in Leviticus 23, verse 32, concerning the Day of Atonement. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls on the ninth day of the month at evening. From evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. It's the third, the same Hebrew word, anah, meaning afflict. So we humble ourselves by fasting. We have in our sermon library sermon number 748, Fasting and Humility, and sermon number 870, Pride and Humility. We can contrast that humility with those in the Bible who had arrogance. And Have you ever been arrogant? Or perhaps you know people who are arrogant. But take a look at Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar, there in Daniel, the fifth chapter, Daniel 5, and you know what happened to them. Daniel 5 and uh, verse 18. So, Daniel is talking to Belshazzar, O King, the Most High God, gave Nebuchadnezzar your father or ancestor a kingdom and majesty, glory, and honor. This is Daniel 5, verse 19. And because of the majesty that He gave Him, all peoples, nations, languages trembled and feared. Whomever He wished, He executed. Whomever He wished, He kept alive. Whomever He wished, He set up. And whomever He wished, He put down. Verse 20, But when His heart was lifted up and His spirit was hardened in pride, He was deposed from His kingly throne, and they took His glory from Him. Then He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like the beasts, and His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. They fed Him with grass like oxen, and His body was wet with dew of heaven. But He learned a lesson. Till He knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever He chooses. So, Daniel had warned Nebuchadnezzar that he needed to change his way and his life, which he did not respond to Daniel's warning. And So, Nebuchadnezzar played the consequences. And now Daniel is giving this illustration to Belshazzar. Verse 22, But you, his son Belshazzar, or descendant, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Uh-oh. Did not humble his heart even though he knew all this. What do we know that we may be ignoring? We ignored certain lessons. I know that sometimes I have ignored certain bumps on the head and kept paying the penalties. When I should have learned the lessons of the past. <clears throat> and you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. So God sometimes gives us little bumps in the road to give us a little warning and a heads up, and sometimes we ignore the lessons that He's even given us, let alone the lessons of history let alone the admonitions and warnings from God's ministers to the church. We sometimes ignore that, but we can't. We cannot ignore those warnings. We cannot ignore those lessons. My sheep, hear My voice, Jesus said in John 10, I guess it's verse 37. Are you hearing the shepherd's voice today? And through the messages and the warnings and the Articles and the letters from Doctor Meredith. We need to respond with our whole heart. Take we'll a look at one other example of arrogancy in Acts the twelfth chapter, Acts twelve. You know we need to have great boldness in the faith and the fear of the Lord. There is strong confidence. It tells us in Proverbs fourteen twenty six, I believe. Acts the twelfth chapter. So God wants us to have faith. He wants us to have godly confidence that come from Christ living in us. But on the other hand, we need to make sure it's not self-confidence. Acts the 12th chapter. Here was King Herod. King Herod had quite a bit of vanity, self-importance. Acts 12 and verse 20. Now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's personal aid, their friend, they asked for peace, because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. Acts 12, verse 21, So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on his throne and gave an oration to them, and the keeper people kept shouting the voice of a god and not of a man. Verse 23, Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give glory to God. And he was eaten by worms and died. But the Word of God grew and was multiplied. So we need to make sure that we always avoid self-importance, selfishness, vanity. Make sure that we are always humbling ourselves before God. Take a look at one one more example here in Isaiah, the second chapter. Isaiah second. It's also a warning, but also a historic lesson. Isaiah 2, uh, verses uh, 11. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. And the eternal alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty, everything lifted up, and it shall be brought low. So sometimes we see all the proud and vain and uh, wealthy uh, egotists say, "Well, God is letting them get away from (laughs) getting away with it." Well, that was uh, one of the problems with the. the psalmist in Psalm 73 and Psalm 73. Why is it that it seems the rich are always getting away with things? No. They will have their judgment day. The haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. He tells God's people, verse 10, enter into the rock and hide in the dust for the terror of the Lord and the glory of His majesty. On the other hand, There are the heroes of the Bible and heroines of the Bible who were not arrogant. They were humble. Who comes to mind? Let's turn back to Numbers, the 12th chapter. Numbers 12. And here is a man who was very bold. He was strong. He was actually a general in the Egyptian army. And yet, God says this about him, which is remarkable. Numbers 12 and verse. You know, the instance because Miriam and Aaron had spoken against Moses and uh, they were jealous. They had, hasn't God spoken through us? Verse 3. This is just a parenthetical statement, but a commentary from God, an evaluation from God about the man Moses. Now, the man Moses was very humble. More than all people who are on the face of the earth. Now, that's not being said about you or me, but nonetheless, we as God people will humble ourselves and pray, and God will forgive us and He will bless us as we humble ourselves. Philippians, the second chapter, not only was Moses at that point in time more than all the men that were on the face of the earth very humble philippians the second chapter we know our savior also had that wonderful characteristic of humility that he at the very word the very logos that emptied himself of that glory and power to become a descendant in the flesh of David. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made Himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man he humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus humbled Himself. Moses was humbled. And even it says that God humbled Himself. Let's read that in Psalm 113. Psalm 113. How does God humble Himself? Here He is from eternity to eternity. All the power and glory is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. And yet, He concerns Himself with lowly human beings because He is love. And He has a plan of love. Psalm 113. Psalm 113. Verse 4, The Eternal is high above all nations, His glory above the heavens. Who is like the Eternal our God who dwells on high? Verse 6, Who humbles Himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth. Think that God in His greatness and power knows every hair on our head. Knows every sparrow that falls, and he says, "You are more value than many sparrows." So he humbles himself to take care of you, and to look after you, and to love you, and to forgive you. Turn to Second Chronicles, the twentieth chapter. Second Chronicles. And here we find an example of an individual who really sought after God. How do you seek God? Well, you spend time on your knees, you spend time fasting, you spend time reading God's word and trembling before it. You pray to God with your whole heart. Second Chronicles the 20th chapter. King Jehoshaphat was threatened because the armies of Moab, Ammon, came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 20, verse 1. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming you, against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hatzazan Tamar, which is En Gedi. Uh, I think some of you have been to Israel have visited that place. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the eternal. It wasn't just a momentary, oh, I need to pray. He set himself. He committed himself. He was going to discipline himself to spend time with God, to seek the eternal, and to proclaim to fast throughout all Judah. In the July 12th letter, uh, Dr. Meredith quotes from a letter he received from one of our headquarters ministers. He says, This young minister referred to an office meeting we recently had, and he appreciated my comments in that meeting. He writes, I was pleasantly surprised when you referred to Jehoshaphat today. I read his story again in my personal study this week too, and was again struck by Second Chronicles 20 verse 3. When Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Eternal and proclaimed a fast throughout Judah. As I reread about his proclamation of fast in the context of recent events at headquarters and other situations I am aware of in the field, I was reminded that there has been it has been a while since we've had a church wide fast. I know that in the past our church wide fasts are often in relation to an event. However, as you have noted, it seems that we are under a spiritual attack. In addition, it seems like many of God's people are letting down. Letting down spiritually and are more sensitive to offense and rumor. Perhaps this is because God's people are just distracted with life. Might it be time to call another church-wide fast as chance for us as a body to draw closer to God collectively. We certainly need more unity in the church and we need to spiritually refocus as a group and stay focused on the kingdom and on personally overcoming. One of the results I have noticed with church-wide fasts is that they tend to unify the church and help us come together with one focus. So that's in Dr. Meredith's letter. uh, Quoting from one of our headquarters minister's letters to him. So brethren, we need that focus. Uh, We need to zealously seek God's Kingdom and His righteousness to enthusiastically support the preaching of the Gospel. To seek God spending more time in our life throughout the day. We need to think about changing our lives, our priorities, Perhaps even our routines. The Living Church News, July, August 2011, Richard H. Sedley wrote an article titled Our Christian Priorities. Uh, Mr. Sedley Richard H. Sedley um actually helped Mr. Armstrong and Dr. C. Paul Meredith uh, write the correspondence course. <clears throat> Mr. Syliacic died in 2010. He mentioned four priorities in life. What would you say are the top four priorities in your life? He outlined them in this article, Our Christian Priorities. Priority number one, put God first. Priority number two, put family second. Priority number three, work diligently. Priority number four, serve the spiritual family. He concluded the article with this comment. Quote, We have seen that the four imperatives, the four priorities in order are one, God, two, family, Three, work. Four, church. If we keep these priorities in balance, not neglecting any of them and not putting them in the wrong order, we can look forward to the time when we will find ourselves standing before Jesus Christ as spirit beings, glistening in glory as He returns to earth to bring world peace, happiness, and prosperity to all mankind. End of quote. Let's go back to First Chronicles here, chapter twenty, as we need to focus on our priorities. Verse five. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah in Jerusalem in the house of the Eternal before the new court. And he prayed to God, obviously recognizing the office, the nature, the character of God. And said, O eternal God of our fathers, are You not God in heaven? And do You not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in Your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand You? And Again, he goes over some of the history of God's victories for Israel and Judah. And he says in verse 12, Will You not judge them? for we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us nor do we know what to do but our eyes are upon you and so one of the prophets or one of the god's servants gave the message to Jehoshaphat verse 15 from God and said do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God. Verse 17, Position yourselves, stand still, and see the salvation of the Eternal who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Eternal is with you. Verse 18, And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Eternal, worshiping. The eternal. So, what did they do? They had to go out. They said, God said, you don't have to fight, but they had to go out and meet the enemy. And so, who did they choose? The singers, the musicians. So, all you musicians and singers realize that uh, you have to have faith. Verse 20. So they rose early in the morning went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Eternal your God and you shall be established. Believe His prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Eternal and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Eternal, for His mercy endures forever. So, It wasn't the soldiers with their weapons, with their shields, their spears, their bow and arrow. It was the singers that went out before the army. Well, that takes a lot of faith and courage to go out and meet an army of three nations that are coming against you. But what happened? Verse 22, Now when they began to sing and to praise, the Eternal set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, They looked toward the multitude. And there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. He had appointed those to sing to the Eternal. And they had to trust God to fight their battles for them. But Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord. Dr. Meredith writes in his uh, July 12th letter, the need for a fast and for all of us to truly set ourselves to seek God as Jehoshaphat did when he feared and set himself to seek the Eternal. is very vital for his church and his work at this time. I hope that all of you ministers and brethren will truly be on board with this as it is one of the most important things we could possibly do at this time. So there are many exhortations for humility and uh, the fear of the Lord, we've had sermons on those. But let's take a look at one Scripture. 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 and 6. 1 Peter 5, verse 5. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Show that honor and respect and courtesy politeness. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with Humility. Jesus humbled Himself as a servant. Moses was humble more than all on the face of the earth. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God gives His favor, His blessings, His mercy to those who are humble. Verse 6, Therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that He may exalt you in due time. And in our time, our information overloaded world, the cares of this world, what must we do? Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by our brotherhood in the world. We have called church fasts in the past, and we know that even nations have called certain fasts on occasion. President Abraham Lincoln called a proclamation or gave a proclamation of a day of fasting Let me just read that proclamation, a part of it. Whereas a joint committee of both houses of Congress has waited on the President of the United States and requested him to, quote, recommend a day of public humiliation, prayer, and fasting to be observed by the people of the United States with religious solemnities and the offering of fervent supplications to Almighty God, for the safety and welfare of these states, His blessings on their arms, and a speedy restoration of peace. Would that happen today? We pray that it would, that the Senate and the House of Representatives would urge the President to call a day of fasting, of humiliation, and of seeking God. Abraham Lincoln in his proclamation went on, And whereas it is fit and becoming in all people at all times to acknowledge and revere the supreme government of God, to revere the supreme government of God, to bow in humble submission to His chastisements, to confess and deplore their sins and transgressions in the full conviction that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and to pray with all fervency and contrition for the pardon of their past offenses, and for a blessing upon their present and prospective action. Therefore, I, Abraham Lincoln, President of the United States, do appoint the last Thursday of September next as a day of humiliation, prayer, and fasting for all the people of the nation, in testimony whereof I have hereunto set my hand and caused the seal of the United States to be affixed, this 12th day of August, A.D. 1861, and of the independence of the United States of America, the 86th. So a remarkable calling of a national fast by Abraham Lincoln and urged by Congress. Wouldn't that be wonderful if that would happen today? But the people of God are Fasting. How concerned are you for your nation and for the suffering of the world and for the sinfulness of our own nation? We've been hearing recently about the terrorist attacks, particularly in 2016 in Istanbul, in Nice, Paris, Baghdad, Bangladesh, and many other cities around the world. It tells us in Romans 8, verse 22, we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. We cry for God's kingdom to come. But we need to have that compassion and that concern for our nation, whatever nation you're a citizen of. Let's turn to 1 Timothy, uh, the second chapter. <coughs> 1 Timothy, the second chapter. 1 Timothy 1. This is the Word of God. We're to live by every Word of God. 1 Timothy Timothy 2, verse 1. Therefore I exhort, first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Have you ever given thanks for someone in the world who may have done a charitable deed? For kings... And all, this is under the Roman Empire, remember, for kings and all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So do you pray for Governor McCory of North Carolina, President Obama of the United States, and now a new Prime Minister in Great Britain, uh, Theresa May, and others around the world. In one of Dr. Meredith's co-worker letters, he quoted Isaiah 59, verse 16. I won't turn there, but he, God, saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. God expects us, being priests in training, To intercede, to give prayers of intercession. Turn to Ezekiel, the 22nd chapter, Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. We do pray for one another. We have prayer requests for healing, and the brethren are very warm and loving and praying for one another. We need to continue that. And we heard in the sermonette about one of the healings that had taken place. We thank God for those healings. Ezekiel 22 and verse 30. So God says, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before Me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. God expects His people to stand in the gap. In his co-worker letter some time ago, Dr. Meredith wrote, We, brethren, as Christ's body, must urgently stand in the gap on behalf of our people and do everything we can to help them understand and to repent before it is too late. We have been given a genuine understanding of the entire plan and purpose of the Almighty God, not because we are inherently better than others, but in order to do God's work. So God has called us to stand in the gap, to be intercessors. We have a sermon, number 716, 716, titled, Standing in the Gap. So Dr. Meredith writes, so every one of us has a responsibility to pray fervently for our nation's and do all that we can to awaken them while we have the opportunity. We know that Daniel interceded for his people. Well, I just turn there briefly, Daniel the 10th chapter, Daniel 10. Daniel the 10th chapter. In the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointment time was long. And he understood the message and an understanding of the vision. Daniel 10, verse 2, In those days I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food. No meat or wine came into my mouth. Nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. So not only did you have... Jesus humbling himself. Moses humbling himself. Daniel humbled himself as well. And so he pleaded for his people. He had an angel that came to him. And Daniel, of course, had confessed his sins, the sins of the people, in chapter 9, verse 19, Oh, he O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for Your own sake, my God, for Your own city and Your people who are called by Your name. So he was confessing his own sins and the sins of the nation. But when you read Daniel's prayer, when you read David's prayer, you can get a sense of the kind of fervency, the emotion, that perhaps we have lacked in some of our prayers. Daniel is very urgent in his prayer. And so, as he was praying, the angel came to him. But he interceded for his people, he stood in the gap, and in the process, he confessed his own sins. James, the fourth chapter. So, on the fast day is a good time to confess our sins to examine ourselves to ask God to show us what we do not see just as Elihu told Job back in Job 34 verse 31 James the 4th chapter James 4 verse 6 but he gives more grace I'll so thank God for his unmerited pardon his forgiveness his favor when I think of grace I think of God's favor. He gives more grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Again, these are God's promises, there are requirements. But he says, If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you, and I've claimed that promise. Have you? Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. I know. I've been double-minded, and I know how that is. You know how it is, because you're tempted, and you want to, you want to sin, and you realize you shouldn't, and you're rationalizing in your own mind. Hmm. Well, maybe I, you know, maybe I could learn something from this, or you come up with all kinds of deceptive rationalizations. Don't give in to that sin. He says, purify your heart, you double-minded. You've got to be committed to resist sin. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up we must humble ourselves, confess our sins, and that of course is brought out here in 1 John 1. If you turn to 1 John 1 and verse 9. <clears throat> 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we have that Absolute promise of God that He will forgive us if we have that repentant attitude. He even gives us this awesome promise in verse 7. For if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sin. So brethren, we need to confess our sins and trust that God will forgive us our sins as long as we're committed to change. We need to seek God more intimately, more wholeheartedly. We need to change our lives, our priorities, figure out what can I change in my life. We need to stir ourselves up with more zeal, more passion, and more enthusiasm. Of course, we have Christ's promises in Hebrews 13.5, I will never leave you nor forsake you in Matthew 28.22. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Some of us have our ups and downs. Some of you are more constant and consistent. We all need to be dedicated, zealous, daily. Dr. Meredith concludes his letter of July 12th, quote, So I will appreciate all of your total cooperation and your zeal in following through and joining with all of us and setting ourselves to fast to meditate and to pray fervently that God will intervene and bring us closer to him individually and as a church may God be with you and guide you in all of this and let us pray for one another as we undertake this important activity at this time end of quote so brethren we need to pray as we heard even the sermonette for healings for signs, for wonders, for the power of God to increase the work. Let's turn to Isaiah fifty five. Isaiah fifty five. We are just physical human beings, but God has called us with a spiritual mission, and He gives us spiritual power to fulfill that mission. This is one very encouraging to know that when we preach the Word, that Word has an effect. But I just turned here. I didn't have that in my notes. Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Eternal while He may be found. Call upon Him while He is near. God is near to the church now. There is coming a time when there will be a famine of the Word. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the eternal and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. But notice here in verse 10, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Verse 11, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I set it. That's the confidence that we have as God's church in preaching the Gospel and warning the world, witnessing to the world that God's Word goes forth and it will accomplish what it pleases. It will prosper in the thing for which He sends it. We thank God for that. So, on this day, we need to commit ourselves to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. And may we on this day commit ourselves to make significant changes in our lives, to stir ourselves up with godly zeal, to complete the work that God has given us to hasten the day for Christ's return. And may we humble ourselves before our God and pray. And He will hear us. And He will bless the work. Then God, if we do that, can use us to finish the work by the power of the Holy Spirit. So pray for God's kingdom to come. Pray that God will empower us to fulfill His work and His will with enthusiasm, passion, and zeal.